Hello, folks, and welcome to The Farm, a podcast dedicated to culture, parapolitics, and high weirdness in all its many forms. This is your host, Recluse, a.k.a. Steven Snyder, the longtime curator of the Visa blog and author of the recently released A Special Relationship, Trump Epstein and the Secret History of the Anglo-American Establishment. If you like what you hear here today, be sure to check me out at visaview.blogspot.com. That's V-I-S-U-P-V-I-E-W blogspot.com and procure a copy of that book and my other works at the farm's official store which is at the farm podcast.store that is the farm podcast all one word dot store also please consider signing up for the farm's patron you get two additional full-length shows per month that's between three and four hours of bonus material with exclusive gifts and content all right, folks, today's guest practically needs no introduction as he is a reoccurring character around these parts. He is the great John Brisson of We've Read the Documents. John, thank you so much for dropping by again today, sir. Always a pleasure to be with here with you, Recluse, here on the farm, brother. Glad to be back again. All right, sir. Today's show is a timely one. We are going to talk about the Enigmatic Atlantic Council, one of the most powerful think tanks that you've never heard of. The few who have chronicled it have accused it of being a new Bilderberg group. But are these claims, claims credible? That's what we're here to find out, as well as the council's designs for the Biden administration going forward. And we've got one of the best parapolitical researchers in the business to help us navigate to these chaotic waters. So let's have at it. Okay, John, an obvious place to start, as with most things, is the beginning. So what are the origins of the council? All right. So the origins of the Atlantic Council, um, and I watched a video that the Atlantic Council had put forward uh, discussing their history. And they talk about it was a pivotal year of 1961, which was uh, when the Atlantic Council was uh, formed. And it's successor, it was a successor group to the Atlantic Union Committee. So... The, the reason why they say it was pivotal during that time period in 1961 was because you had um, the young president, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, um, becoming you know, president of these United States of America, which many people both on the right and the left were concerned uh, about Kennedy, of whether or not he was their guy, even though I do think a lot of that is is political theater at this point that, of course, JFK was working for the world order, obviously. Um, but they at least appeared the illusion that they were worried. You know, I mean, eventually you have the John Birch Society uh, with the hunts and we'll get to the hunts maybe a little bit later, uh, possibly paying a major role in Kennedy's assassination. So it was Kennedy taking the realms, uh, you know, realm of being the commander in chief, so to say, of the largest power in the world when it, we were still in the midst of the Cold War. Uh, you know what I mean, Recluse? So everybody was worried about that. They wanted a, a strengthened Atlantic, a strengthened West to go against the East, which the East at that time was uh, the Big Bear, was the USSR, Communist Russia. So um, uh, it was, uh, the Atlantic Council was promoting NATO and European American uh, cooperation. Um, it was um, some of the people that were uh, founded, founding at the time was um, former Secretary of State uh, Dean Akison, um, who was heading up Kennedy's NATO task force at the time. William C. Foster, the head of the American Committee for Atlantic Institute, and the treasurer for the organization, Adolf Schmidt, an officer of T. Mellons and Sons, a 
the former Secretary of State Christian A. Herter, the head of the newly formed, they were who was the head of the newly formed Atlantic Council um, at that time. Um, and so, pretty much, the organization started as a think tank to influence policy to maintain a strong American Europe Western control where they kind of felt like that NATO wasn't doing a good enough job. And they wanted also to include countries like Japan as well, which they consider to be a Western country, um, even though it's you know, across the Pacific ocean, obviously, but uh, they found it to be um, an important area while keeping, you know, Russia and uh, China and uh, North Korea at bay. Um, and they'll still, you know, work hard with, with Japan even today. Uh, so the council, you know, Atlantic Council during the 1960s would produce um, a series of reports on the state uh, uh, on the state of public opinion towards alliance member countries. It's sought to actively educate the public about the need for engagement in international affairs through television com uh, commercials, uh, starring the famous comedian Bob Hope, an ac academic journal and a newsletter. Um, so they're busy trying to drum up public support uh, for the West, uh, for the uh, Europe and um, America. And it seems like they pretty much succeeded a lot in that front, especially later when we discuss some of the members or people I've spoken to the Atlantic Council um, may have been people who are, at least appear to be uh, pro-West and staunch anti-communist. So it's interesting that they so they tried to bring Japan in at like the beginning, right? Like the early 60s. Yeah, but it wasn't until around, I think, the 70s when Japan started to take focus uh, on the Atlantic Council. And they have a branch of the Atlantic Council now called Atlantic Council Asia. Um, kind of, it's kind of interesting, though, because it prefigures the Bilderberg or not, excuse me, the Trilateral Commission and kind of their designs to also bring Japan more forward in the international community in the, uh, the mid 1970s. Yes, it was because it was one of the first major think tanks that tried to bring Japan uh, forward. And it's interesting, too, you say, Dean, um, was it Atkinson? Yes. The, I mean, had such a major role in it. I mean, of course, he was one of the, uh, the wise men figures, um, you know, the kind of group of elder statesmen who had uh, centered around the State Department and uh, the Department of Defense uh, beginning around the Second World War. Um, there were some interesting characters involved in that. Of course, there was also George Keenan, um, certainly a guy that we'll probably discuss here in a little bit. Um, I believe uh, Averill Harriman was another one of them, Skull and Bonesman as well. I mean, technically, uh, this, this, this think tank came out of the signing of the North Atlantic Treaty, uh, which NATO was later, um, you know, founded from. Um, so pretty much this was the major group or major think tank to run allied with NATO. Well, that's it makes sense in the context of Atkinson, because, I mean, he was really the, uh, you know, one of the major figures behind the policy of containment. Um, you know, this was really like their whole baby. So, yeah, I mean, it would make sense that this uh, he would be the lead on a think tank that seems specifically designed, at least in the early years, to really uphold the NATO slash Atlantic alliance. Um, yeah, and it seems that they're a major, majorly pushing the Cold War narrative because they talked about 
you know, the building of the Berlin Wall also started in 1961. And oh yeah, yeah, that's a good point too. Yeah, so they were kind of, like if you go watch also the video the, Delayed yeah, Council yeah, put the out, missile crisis too, right? Yeah, they they were really big about uh, uh, uh you know, just talking about why it was important that they were founded specifically in 1961 because the world was so much in turmoil at the time yeah and we we're fighting the major communist threat of the ussr they also mentioned the bay of pigs too as well um which happened yeah. in april i think it's april 17th right yeah um, I believe so yeah so um, april 17th they also discussed the bay of pigs too as well debacle too well there was bay also too i mean some issues with the uh just generally the european alliances at the time of course uh there had been the uh, the recent coup attempt i believe against de gaulle and um france in 61 if i'm not mistaken which led to the creation of the oas and then um uh, the special relationship with the UK was not great at this point in time either. This was, what, about five years uh, removed from the Suez crisis. And uh, the Brits were still smarting over that one a little bit as well. So as were the French. <laughs> so. so it seemed like the Atlantic Council was a way to push Western, European, American global policy. Um, and we'll talk about later how it morphed in some sort of kind of globalist neocon yeah. type organization. But during this time period, I would actually uh, ally them a lot with the right world order in a well, lot of ways. We'll discuss more about that later. Well, kind of again, because I mean, with the, you know, the wise man click, I mean, I argued in my book, a special relationship. I mean, they were really sort of like the, well, maybe not necessarily the genesis, but they were part of the, um, the line essentially of succession to the modern neocons. I mean, really, you can kind of go back to the foreign policy advocated by some of the figures around Theodore Roosevelt onto the wise men in World War II, and then finally on to kind of the emergence of the neocons in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, you know, sometimes these guys call themselves Democrats, sometimes they call themselves Republicans, but um, they've always kind of been behind this uh, peculiar form of imperialism. Yeah, and, and the Light like to Cancel calls itself a centrist think tank, and it is a major think tank on the world stage because, as we're going to discuss, you'll have many players on the right and the left who are involved in Atlantic Council. Um, so it's interesting to see how I think the Atlantic Council is probably above like the Council for National Policy or the Council on Foreign Relations. You'll have players on both sides from both of those groups join the Atlantic Council, which I think is on par with the Bilderberg Group or La Circle, uh, kind of like a parallel structure of how the organizations go up, you know, as a pyramid, I would assume. Um, it's, uh... but, yeah. It kind of reminds me a bit of, um, what is it, the Center for Strategic and International Studies, I think. Yes, yes. That would also be another one that combined both the right and the yeah, left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think we've given you guys enough context then for the emergence of the Atlantic Council. So, <clears throat> all right. So it didn't seem though like it really emerged as a major body, a major player until the early 21st century. Um, you know, do you have any idea what led to its rise? From what I saw, it was because after the war on terror and, and in the video, they talk about how after the, you know, the beginning of the war on terror, even, you know, towards, you know, when I was going on and I, after um, they had to pivot because there was no more threat uh, from the USSR anymore. Of course, you know, the Soviet Union had fallen um, and was replaced by Russia. So now the threat would be terrorism, global terrorism. So they kind of had to pivot to more, um, you know, fighting that boogeyman. And of course, modern day now, China. Um, not to say that, you know, the Communist Chinese Party or China isn't a threat, 
to the status of the United States they are, but it's 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 who they're who they're they're choosing to put their attention towards. But of course, not in a well, you know what you and I would argue is a legitimate way, or you know you know or legitimate reasons why they should have their attention, uh, you know towards the um, to China. Um, but we'll talk. We'll discuss that more later. But uh, so uh, you know, it's also um, Frederick uh, Kemp, uh, who's the chief executive of Atlantic Council. He talked about how um, at least twenty five countries since 2008 um, uh, started heavily donating uh, to the Atlantic Council. Um, and um, so it seemed that they started getting a lot of powerful funding um, from not you know only the European countries or the United States or Japan, but also from, from, from Arabic countries too in the Middle East as well. Um, so it seems like they, uh, a whole bunch of, you know, powerful entities and powerful countries uh, decided to just start pumping money into the Atlantic Council, um, which they really hadn't uh, since towards the end of the Cold War in the 80s, in the late 80s. Atlantic Council kind of went dormant during the 90s. I mean, I'm not saying there weren't things going on, but they weren't a major player on the world stage as much as they were during the 80s and as much as they definitely are today. Uh, so it seems like they just revived it. You know, they just they just pulled it out and started giving the Atlantic Council a whole bunch of money. So you had money coming in from Europe. You had money coming in from the Middle East. You had money coming in from from Japan, uh, from the United States. Um, and in doing so, um, the Atlantic Council started to gain a, a lot more prominence and you, st and you started to have uh, major power players join the Atlantic Council like Henry Kissinger. Um, so, yeah, it just seems like that was the time uh, during the 2000s, during the War on Terror, uh, for the Atlantic Council to, to, to rise. And um, they were one of the biggest backers of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Um, which there was a lot of lobbying for the Trans-Pacific Partnership, you know, with Japan and um, other Asian countries. And in a way, you know, I've gone back and forth on the TPP, right? When I used to be a Trump supporter, um, I thought the Trans-Pacific Partnership was a very bad idea um, because that's what I was so taught and sold uh, that I was going to be like another NAFTA. But in reality, now circling back, and I'm still not thinking it's, you know, the best thing in the world, but I'm not going to say it's the worst either, because the Trans-Pacific Partnership uh, with us, uh, you know, partnering with many different Pacific countries in, in Japan against China, it would have been an economic war against China. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, how do you feel about that, close about the TPP? And, yeah. and I mean, Atlantic Council is pushing and Obama's pushing it, so I should be concerned, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting, uh, you know, thing. And I mean, it's I think it's, it's certainly more in keeping with the neoliberal order. And I mean, their general policy of trying to use, um, you know, I mean, this kind of economic uh, attack, you know, essentially in lieu of actual bullets and tanks and so forth. So uh, and I mean, certainly I know you and I have discussed this before, but when you see what China has done um, with the Belt and Road Initiative, um, you know, certainly, I mean, the TTP might have been, an, uh, you know, a decent counterbalance to that in a, uh, a crucial area of the world. Um, you know, again, it's it's a complicated situation. Uh, in hindsight, the TPP might be slightly better than, you know, the current state of affairs. But I mean, on the flip side of the coin, you know, with the people, you know, pushing it in the Atlantic Council and what have you, it's, you know, it's not going to be, uh, 
uh, designed to help normal people. Let's just leave it at that. No, no. I mean, didn't majority of these people sell our technology through the Belt and Road Initiative to Russia, China, and Israel? You know, didn't they sell us out already mm. decades ago? You know, so now what? Now they're going to put economic pressure on China through the TPP, something they've already set up to begin with. It's just like no matter what what happens, we lose, right? Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. All right, so. Now, as I alluded to in the intro, the Atlantic Council has a reputation as being the new Bilderberg Group. Where does that come from? I mean, and is it accurate? Uh, Conspiracy cultures, talking heads, (laughs) talking heads in the alternative truth movement. (laughs) I mean, I've said it. I, I, I think it is. I think that too many people were going down to Bilderberg Group meetings and, you know, having cameras out there and watching the Bilderbergers come out of the meeting, right? I mean, and, and the conspiracy culture, even popular, uh, not popular culture, even a, like a basic, you know, standard culture, uh, you know, most people know what the Bilderberg group is at this point, or at least have heard of it. You know what I mean? I mean, if this was like 10 years ago, uh, when I started to, you know, uh, wake up to the truth or a truth, um, or just wake up to the world, or I guess is probably a better term, um, I used to talk about Bilderberg Group and people think you're crazy, you know? I mean, well, my dad mentioned it and to me in the early 90s and late 90s. I, I didn't, I know what he was talking about. I never heard of it, you know? And imagine, you know, if everybody thought I was crazy mentioning it, all my friends then, imagine what they thought, you know, people thought of him. So it's like a shell game, you know? Like, I'm not saying the Bilderberg Group isn't powerful, but at this point, since we're always, you know, people are always going and covering it and, Look who who who's coming out of the Bilderberg meetings and getting a membership list of who's part of the Bilderberg group and all their connections and all the all the alternative media, which a lot of it is a limited hangout covering Bilderberg meetings and everything, and they're not secret anymore. So they move it to Atlantic Council, which is more open to some degree. I mean, they publish their membership list and they have a YouTube channel and they publish a lot of their meetings or, or people speaking at their meetings and stuff like that and panels and everything, but. At this point, few people are paying attention to it in an alternative medium. I mean, you hear maybe some right-wing pundits um, like Dan Bongino uh, maybe discuss about the Atlantic Council, right? But like most, you know, people in the truth movement, and they probably have maybe scantily heard of it, um, but no one's really covering it in depth that I've seen. Um, I mean, Kevin Marsden has some on my channel. I've discussed the Atlantic Council when I come across them. Um, I, you know, but I do think that they are the new Bilderberg group. I think that they have moved a lot of their clandestine work between both sides of the world order to the Atlantic council. So, I mean, what do you think about it? You think it's a, you think, you think that's true or do you think that's, um, do you think the Bilderberg group still has more significant power? No, I definitely think the Bilderberg group um, has declined a lot uh, over the last decade or two. I mean, you know, like you said, it's practically, we're not I mean practically a household name, but I mean, it's certainly a brand name within conspiratainment at this point. Um, the Atlantic Council, I mean, it's managed to fly under a lot of people's radars, uh, you know, for many years now. And uh, like you said, I mean, it is kind of uh, clever how they do it. I mean, there is more openness to it than, I mean, there was with Bilderberg. Um, I suppose in that sense, it's maybe a little closer to how the Council of Foreign Relations has historically been run. 
um but yeah in this flip side of the coin though people don't really seem to notice um the pipeline that they've established between the atlantic council and the white house over the last uh you know 15 years or so yes yes at least since the george w bush administration yeah i mean it definitely seems like at this point the atlantic council is the institution that's grooming a lot of the neoliberal foreign poly foreign policy establishment at this point which uh you know we'll get to here in a minute um, but before we go there, you know, uh, let's get into another aspect of the Atlantic Council that's very interesting that we've been alluding to. You know, obviously it's closely associated with the neoliberal order, but there are links to the secret right as well. Uh, you've seen some interesting Council for National Policy links uh, to the Atlantic Council, right, John? Yes, I have. Um, now, this is only because I, I know the CMP membership list for the most part and in and out, right? Uh, inside and out so i can i can you know recognize names when i see them and go oh that person spoke to the cmp or that person was a cmp member you know but yes so first we have someone who shocked me and this is when i first really started paying attention to atlantic council um and that was hunter hunt who's on the international advisory board atlantic council um and hl hunt uh who was a founder of the council for national policy uh and it was his great i'm not gonna no not hl hunt i'm sorry uh <laughs> nelson bunker hunt um uh who who is hunter hunt's uncle and hl hunt was hunter hunt's grandfather um and ray hunt was his father um but the notorious hunt family uh were um uh, financiers of uh the john birch society and the council for national policy and so it was very interesting to see that hunter hunt uh, would be in such a globalist think tank huh would expect that wouldn't expect it's, that it's interesting too i mean because his dad ray lee hunt um you know was arguably the most powerful hunt uh, i mean of his generation i mean he ended up on uh, what was it the uh president's foreign uh, intelligence advisory board mm -hmm, i think mm -hmm, or something mm -hmm. like that uh during the bush two years and I, what was it essentially w just gave him like what like 30 or 40 percent of the oil in kuwait or something like yeah that. yeah just, like ray I, I want you to have these oil fields. I've never been able to forgive myself for what Libya did to you. But yeah, that was, you know, probably much closer to the truth than we would really like to acknowledge, quite frankly. Yeah, that was a great impression. And it was probably what happened. I'm going to go ahead and say that's what happened if I was a fly on the wall. You know what I mean? So, uh, but yeah, so you have Hunter Hunt. Uh, you have John Bolton, old mustache himself. Uh, he's been on Atlantic Council panels and has looked on very uh, favorably by the Atlantic Council. Of course, John Bolton was both a member of the CMP and the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, so I call him a, you know, a twofer. Usually people who've been on both or, or go back and forth on both, they tend to be higher up in the world order, in my opinion, instead of you're just, on, just you know, dedicated to one. If they allow you to go back and forth, there's something up with you. All right. You're a kingmaker to some degree. Okay. Uh, Ronald Reagan addressed the Atlantic Council on June 13th, 1988, about be building relations between the East and West and hopefully uh, foretelling the future fall of the uh, um, USSSR. Um, of course, Ronald Reagan was a CMP member. Uh, he got some of his Iran-Contra briefings directly from the CMP meetings with uh, Oliver North, and uh, he spoke to the 10th anniversary of the Council for National Policy, and he spoke to the CMP while he was president, at least twice. Um, so, uh, then you had, um, uh, Jeannie Kirkpatrick, who was the ambassador to the United Nations under the Reagan administration. Um, she addressed the Atlantic council on June the 
13th, uh, 1988, um, as well, discussing the same. And you can actually find her speech at Atlantic Council on C-SPAN, and I'll listen to some of it. Uh, and you can actually find Ronald Reagan's address at Atlantic Council, uh, you know, typed out um, on his in the Reagan uh, University, not University, Reagan Ronald Reagan Library uh, website. Um, so it's interesting if you guys want to go check out. I mean, pretty much what they talked about is the, the power of the United States over the USSR, right? Obviously, um, Ted Cruz. I was shocked to find actually addressed the Atlantic Council about um, oil pipelines. Uh, of course, uh, Ted Cruz spoke to the CFP when he gave his presidential stump speech um, in 2015, as well as uh, they, uh, some of the members of the Council for National Policy wanted Ted Cruz to actually run 2016 over Donald Trump. Um, now, I don't know if Rupert Murdoch is a Council for National Policy member, or I don't have any proof that he's spoken to the CMP. However, I would say with great confidence, it's likely that he's attended at least one CMP meeting. Um, but Rupert Murdoch is also a member of the International Advisory Board of the Atlantic Council. So those are some CMP connections right there. Um, you also have uh, uh, also have um, Mike Pompeo uh, addressed the Atlantic Council. Um, now his I have to get her name. Um, hold on. There's one major, um, let me see, holy, she was the ambassador to the Holy See. Who? Mary Ann Glendon. She's a long-term counsel for national policy member. She was U.S. State, United States ambassador to the Holy See under the George W. Bush administration. She is um, uh, Pompeo's mentor, and Pompeo gushes about her all the time, every chance he gets. Interesting. Um, I wanted to clarify on that too. It was actually the oil from quote unquote Kurdistan, oh, Kurdistan that, okay. that George W. Bush gave uh, to Rayleigh Hunt. Um, so yes, they um, also uh, created a essentially fictitious um, country to give the oil to him with. So anyway, but yeah, that's uh, that's kind of how the hunts roll. All right. Um, so how about Lissuk Howe? There is some interesting overlap there between figures like Henry Kissinger and good old Chuck Hagel, right, John? Yes. Uh, so uh, Henry Kissinger and Chuck Hagel um, are both uh, been outed as Law Circle members. Um, of course, uh, Chuck Hagel, um, I mean, he was United States Secretary of Defense over Barack Obama. Um, he was a United States Senator uh, from Nebraska. Um, he's a Republican. I don't know if he was in the CMP or not. I haven't found any proof of him being on any membership list. But both him and one of the most evil men who ever walked the face of this earth, Henry Kissinger, um, were uh, both members of the Atlantic Council. Uh, like I mentioned, Je Jeannie Kirkpatrick earlier, uh, she addressed Atlantic Council. She's also a member of Los Arkell. Uh, John Negroponte. Uh, addressed Atlantic Council in 2017 in, in a panel on Trump's 100 Days. And uh, Z, uh, Zibnu Brzezinski, uh, who was a member of Los Raquel, um, has spoken to Atlantic Council, uh, was likely a member of the Atlantic Council. His son, Ian Brzezinski, is a resident se senior fellow in the Atlantic Council's Brent Scowcroft Center on International Security. Um, so yes, there are ties of Los Raquel uh, directly to um, the Atlantic Council. 
and 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 there's probably more um the issue is is we don't you know there's so there's not a lot of information you know i mean we, we thank god we have um david teacher's book rogue agents mm-hmm. which is ISGP, which is uh, so yeah and and i yes in so many pages but we don't have like I, we have way more membership lists for the council for national policy directly than we do for loss or Kel. Yeah. So um, you got really got to give a good uh, big shout out to Joel from the Institute for the Study yes. of Globalization and Convert Politics. I mean, he's really the one who's gotten most of the more recent membership list for Le Cercal. So, yeah. Thank you very much for that service, John. Yes, um, very much so. Yes. Thank you very much. All right. So the Obama administration represented a kind of coming out party for the Atlantic Council. Can you go over the litany of ties between the Obama administration and the council? You got a minute? Sure. I got quite a few people to go through. <laughs> <sighs> so first we have uh, Richard Holbrook, um, who was United States Special Envoy for Afghanistan and Pakistan during the Obama administration to his uh, death in uh, 2010. Uh, next, we have Susan Rice, um, who's at least addressed the Atlantic Council, uh, but she was United States National Security Advisor under Barack Obama and United States Ambassador to the United Nations under Barack Obama. We have uh, John Huntsman, uh, John Huntsman Jr., um, the uh, Utah uh, governor and Mormon. I was going to um, say that's a code word for Mormon. Yes, uh, <laughs> who was the United States ambassador to China uh, during Obama and the United States ambassador to Russia under Donald Trump. Um, we have uh, Michael Hayden, uh, who was the uh, director of Central Intelligence Agency, the second director of the CIA, uh, under um, Barack Hussein Obama. We have Richard Morningstar, who was the United States ambassador to Azerbaijan under the Obama administration and the special envoy for Eurasian energy under Barack Obama. We have David Petraeus, um, who, um, who replaced, if I remember correctly, Stanley McChrystal um, as the commander of the international security assistance force. That's correct. And then under Obama, was uh, the fourth director of the CIA. We have Chuck Hagel, who I mentioned earlier, United States Secretary of Defense under Barack Obama and chair of the President's Intelligence Advisory Board under Barack Obama. James L. Jones, United States National Security Advisor under Barack Obama. Amos Hutchstein, United States Special Envoy and Coordinator for International Energy of Energy Affairs under Barack Obama. Now, um, Hutchstein... Um, and we've and I we, I've discussed this in the episode that we did with Moss on Ukraine. Um, has quite some quite interesting ties uh, between um, um, the uh, oh, what gas company that was in Ukraine. Uh, I probably have to think about it later, but um, you, this, there's you go back and listen to the episodes connections between Ukraine, Hunter Biden. And Hotstein, and Hotstein now um, is, is um, advising the Atlantic Council uh, on energy. So it's quite interesting. Uh, he's on the board of the Atlantic Council too, as well. Um, so, yeah, 
it looks like he has um, continued. Um, oh, now I remember, it's, it's Naftagas. Naftagas is what he was. He's a former member of the Survivors Board of Naftagas. He resigned in uh, October 2020 to, and, and went to work for um, the Atlantic Council as a uh, um, Atlantic Council as a uh, energy advisor uh, full time after that. So uh, huh. I got Leon Panetta, um, who was the uh, United States Secretary of Defense under Barack Obama and the third directory of the Central Intelligence Agency under Barack Obama. And you have Ash Carter, uh, who was the United States Secretary of Defense under Barack Obama and the United States Deputy Secretary of Defense under Barack Obama. And the United and, and Undersecretary for Defense of Acquisition Technology and Logistics under Obama. So there were many, many Atlantic Council members who were a major, major part of, you know, you had CIA directors, you had um, um, you had uh, Secretary of Defenses uh, that were uh, for Obama during the Obama administration. So that's quite a list of people or close. Yeah, I mean, it seems like specifically, I mean, a lot of it was geared towards foreign policy. I mean, a lot of people yes. familiar with the Pentagon, uh, CIA, the State Department, and even, um, you know, some of the other ones not directly related to foreign policy, like the energy, uh, you know, connections. I mean, those, again, are, I mean, ultimately a part of foreign policy. So, um, yes. yes. And, and, and I want to mention that um, uh, John Kerry, who was Secretary of State under Barack Obama? He also um, someone I left out. He he's also addressed the Atlantic Council multiple times and discussed climate change too as well. So, oh, well, John Kerry though I think has discussed climate change was damn near everybody on the face of the earth at this point in those circles. So I mean that's... that is that is true, but Kerry definitely is a is a, is is a sleaze bag. Yeah, yeah, though, there's no dispute. He's certainly one of the more uh, despicable professional politicians, and um, that's saying something. All right, so at one point, the Atlantic Council brought on someone affiliated with the Call of Duty games. Can you get into that for us a bit? Well, actually, we got two people were close. Oh, really? So the first person is General James L. Jones, who's a co-chairman of the Call of Duty Endowment Fund. That was put forth by Activision. That was fabulous. By the way, Call of Duty. Now, the, I, I don't really know anything about games, so forgive me. But that was, um, it was like a link to Tom Clancy, right? No. No. Okay. Okay. Mm -mm. Not Call of Duty games. You're talking about uh, the, the the division and the Tom Clancy games, like Splinter Cell and stuff like that, and everything. No. Call I think there's like the kind of secret right neoliberal divide in those freaking games, man. I hate to tell you, but I've, I've played a lot of Call of Duty games throughout my life. I'm ashamed to say that, but it is what it is. All <laughs> right. But, um, you know, but yes, uh, so that, that's that's one tie in. Of course, James L. Jones um, is uh, the former chairman of the Atlantic Council, is still a big part of the Atlantic Council today. And of course, I interviewed uh, Private First Class Burgey um, and say what you said with his connections to uh, Tor Linderman or um, Millennial Millie. Um, there are a lot of things that I can back up that Burgi has said. And yes, he's a Trump supporter. Uh, God help him. Uh, but there are a lot of things that he said in my interview and interviews that I've heard him in separate from being around that cast of characters, which I really believe they're just there to, to paint him in a bad light of the connections between Dynology and James Jones and McChrystal 
and kind of like, you know, what later became psychographical and psychological warfare on the American people that they used on ISIS first. Uh, that would, you know, be a big part of Psy Group and, and Cambridge Analytica and Defeat Disinfo and and um, everything. But um, if you want to know more about James L. Jones, definitely go listen. There's two streams I did on it. One on one with Private First Class Burgi and another with Kevin Marsden about the Shadowgate Nexus. So there's a lot of information about James L. Jones. And James L. Jones was talked about a lot uh, in, in uh, Michael Hastings' uh, book, um, the uh um the the operators um and 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 also james l jones relationship from mercury to john mccain right james l jones and john mccain were really good buddies right recluse i believe so i think so i think they talked about that a lot about that in the book um uh maybe i'm maybe i'm wrong about that i need actually need to go back and listen to it a second time um but yes, I think, yes. So, uh, but yes, that's, that's the first person is, you know, they're part of uh, James L. Jones, the co-chairman of the Call of Duty Endowment Fund. Uh, the second person is a gentleman named Dave, uh, Dave Anthony, who is a director and writer for the Call of Duty series. Um, and he uh, managed a development team uh, at, at um, Activision. Uh, and he was like a, you know, a major part of the Call of Duty franchise. Um, and he uh, left uh, to work directly for uh, the Atlantic Council. Um, and I found that highly interesting, you know, kind of like the, the James L. Jones connection, you're kind of like shrugging your shoulders and you're like, yeah, you know, whatever. But this guy, um, um, also what I found very interesting is he convinced Oliver North to consult for the Call of Duty games so Oliver North could kind of give him some information about um, the military so they could base their Call of Duty games more accurately on, on the military. So, you know, Anthony's got connections, direct connections to Oliver North. Um, he is an Atlantic Council fellow now. Um, he's, you know, he said uh, he created a presentation that juxtaposed footage from 2008 terrorist attacks on Mumbai with images of Las Vegas suggest how easy it is would be for terrorists to buy assault rifles, walk into a casino, and slaughter everybody. Hopes this will speak to people in Washington a different way they're used to being spoken to, a very emotional and gripping way. That's what a lot of the Call of Duty games were, were, um, were you know, putting forth the narrative of global terror and forever wars. You know, like a neocon's wet dream. A lot of the story modes. I mean, I mainly played the multiplayer in the Call of Duty games. I didn't play the story modes. I know there's one, one of the games where you had to like shoot innocents in a Russian airport. Uh, I don't remember much more than that, but I remember it being very graphic and people being upset. It was Modern Warfare Two. It was um, the No Russian mission. Um, so you don't have to shoot anybody if you want to. If you can, you can just start mowing down people um, in an airport if you so choose um, in, in Moscow. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the games were very cinematic. So they take um, they, they kind of take that propaganda that was used in the video games and start showing it to members of the Atlantic Council and to the United States public. So that's a good thing. It's a good thing, right? It's cool. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. 
And yeah, it looks like he did know McCain for a while. In fact, I believe McCain was his first commanding officer back in the 70s. Um, apparently, yeah, he was also quite close to Hillary uh, Clinton as well. Yes, he was. That's Yes. Uh, private class, private first class bird, he talked a lot about that. Um, so yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, they all know each other to some degree, right? And when you're that high up, James L. Jones is no slouch. I'm not sure, but I think he had actually clashed a little bit with Gates um, over the foreign policy in Afghanistan initially, but I don't quote me on that, though. I can't remember exactly on that. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember if there's anything else as far as Jones is concerned. Not that I can think of. Uh, and who was the other guy, I believe? Uh, the guy that was that was part of the Call of Duty that I just mentioned earlier, Dave Anthony. Okay, okay. All right, so let's see. Uh, um, all right, so how about Trump? Presumably there weren't as close of ties with the orange one, right? No, there are. Oh. No. More than I thought when I started looking. So what um, were they? Not as many as Obama, but there were. So we have uh, Tom Bosser. He was 7th United States Homeland Security Advisor under Donald Trump. He resigned on July 27, 2017 when John Bolton started his term as National Security Advisor. Um. On July 20th, 2017, Bosser called for a comprehensive biodefense strategy against devastating pandemics and intentional attacks. Of course. Hmm. He's a distinguished fellow yes. and he's part of the Scrocraft Center for Strategy and Security and been a member since 2008. So, our guy. Um, Good old Scrocraft. H.R. McMaster, United States National Security Advisor under Trump that replaced Michael Flynn. McMaster has addressed uh, the Atlantic Council. James Mattis, honor, Honorary Director of the Atlantic Council, former United States Secretary of Defense under Trump. Mark Esper briefed the Atlantic Council frequently, even briefed the, the Atlantic Council when he was Secretary of Defense under Trump. Um, he, they've, and also, uh, um, the Atlantic Council has also hosted numerous times the so-called White Hat uh, general uh, from the old uh, Nassara Gassara 1990s days, which I'm surprised they didn't try to revive him for the QAnon operation. That would be uh, General Joseph Dunford. Ah, oh, good old Dunford. And, and of course, I'm <laughs> saying that in jest, okay? Like, the guy's not for us, obviously. I just, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. He's got to be the head of some operations because his name always call, comes up as a white hat general for us. So I don't know why they keep picking him, Recluse. There's got to be something to it. He's got to be part of something, all right? Something's down to ride Joseph Dunford's part of, part of these psychological operations somehow. Yeah, so. just the fact that he keeps coming up again and again. But yeah, it's just it's fascinating to see the pipeline the Atlantic Council has to the Pentagon. Yes, very much so. John Bolton. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was part of the Atlantic the Council's Commander's, Commander's Series, Atlantic Council's flagship speakers forum for senior military and defense leaders, looked on favorably by the council. Uh, Robert McFarlane. Um, remember from around Contra days is also part of the commander series. Uh, Mike Pompeo addressed the Atlantic council and John W. Raymond commander of the space command appointed by Trump. He's part of the Atlantic council's commander series. Also. Oh, you got to have the space command represented somewhere, I suppose. Of course. I mean, got space lasers and star Wars and all that, right? Star Wars really happened, right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. It wasn't just um, high frontier hijinks with uh, Council for National Policy member Lieutenant General uh, Daniel O. Graham with uh, Elizabeth Clare Prophet and um, Craig J. Spence and all that. It wasn't just, just that, right? It was 
really uh, death lasers in space. Yes, and there were definitely space brothers and, um, or excuse me, ascended masters there with them as well. Okay, just like uh, uh, when they did the Masonic rituals on the moon, um, uh, um, when uh, which which astronaut uh, brought was out it, uh, Armstrong? Was it Neil Armstrong? Was he the one who brought out the the, the Masonic flag? I can't remember. Actually, I think it was Aldrin. He was. Yeah, it might have been Aldrin. He who brought out the Masonic flag in the apron. Apron. So. That's if we went to the moon. So, so no, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Ah, uh, yeah, you're good. You're good. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always that uh, that kind of thing. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. So, um, what was the role the Atlantic Council played in spreading the Russia Gate narrative? All right. Now this one was big. Um, so the Atlantic Council through the Scowcroft Center for uh, Strategy and Security. Uh, they put out a, a major paper uh, in September 2018 uh, called Defining Russian Election in- in- Interference, an analysis of select 2014-2018 cyber-enabled incidents. And I remember the, you know, the right uh, news you know, media, the CMP newspedia, just losing their everlasting mind about this uh, publication. Okay, and you also had members like R.J. R. James Woolsey, you know, I remember the Atlantic Council, you know, he was out there um, pushing narratives to as well. Um, so, I mean, it, it, you just had many members of the Atlantic Council pushing the Russian election interference, especially of the 2016 election of Donald John Trump. Not to say that Russia wasn't involved. Um, th- they were. Uh, but both sides of the world order, both the right and the left, um, uh, have their own uh, sellouts to Russia. Uh, to, to, to act like Hillary Clinton, his uh, hands are completely clean to Russia, as Atlantic Council does, and try to paint, paint exactly that it's all Donald Trump's connections to Russia, which are just as numerous. I mean, Hillary Clinton, I mean, you have uh, Skokovo uh, with Victor Vexelberg. Um, and even Biden going over to Skokovo and then pretty much facilitating the transfer of modern technology to the Russia's Silicon Valley. It's just to say that neither one, it's pretty much to show, I think the Atlantic Council's report and many Atlantic Council speakers, you know, writing numerous op-eds about pushing the 2016 um, election to, you know, to have massive, you know, Russian uh cyber enabled inc- incidents as they say a russian election interference not to say that it didn't exist but they're not the only guilty party okay and it's not like we haven't interfered in other elections either not to excuse what russia did but i'm just saying you gotta you gotta talk about you gotta discuss these things they're trying to paint it all on trump and his cohorts and the right wing of the world order by saying that the left wing whether it's hillary clinton Barack obama or, or 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 the Biden family have have not have no connections to Russia at all. Um, it's it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad in a lot of ways, especially. Um, and uh, am I missing something here? I mean, that's that's all I really saw, from what I could tell. Um, uh, what I could tell, recluse, was that they were just seemed to be. They would also put um, what's his name? 
there was another guy that they would put out there uh, to try to find them. There was another name, a person they would put out there that they would try to push, that pushed the narrative about the Russia Gate. Um, I have to find the person. But what what do you think? What do you think about? I mean, why do you think the Atlanta Council would only singly push the narrative that the right part of the world order or that Trump specifically um, is in bed with Russia and to leave out Clinton or Biden or anybody else on the left side of the world or the globalist world order? When both sides make up the Atlantic Council, it seemed like they were primarily because like the CMP pretty much denies that uh, that uh, Trump has any connections with Russia and just pushes Clinton, if any, or specifically Biden. So it seems like the Atlantic Council is doing the reverse in a lot of ways. I was going to say it's interesting um, because it seems like Michael Flynn would have been one of the guys who would have taken the biggest or one of the biggest beatings from um, a lot of the Russiagate narratives being pushed um, by the Atlantic Council. Um, and when you look at, you know, like we were just kind of talking about the pipeline um, that the Atlantic Council seems to have to crucial positions, um, you know, in the American national security establishment uh, with the Pentagon, with the National Security Advisor Post, um, Flynn, you know, was not a part of the Atlantic Council. And for whatever reason, it's no. like a lot of people, I don't really totally understand it, but a lot of them seem to have a real problem with Flynn being a national security advisor. Um, it might have just been partly because of his background. I mean, he really had no, you know, significant links to the, you know, kind of uh, foreign policy establishment through that, you know, think tank circle, click, whatever you want to call it. And the person um, I wanted to remember before I forgot was General Michael V. Hayden, um, and who was a former CIA director. He made remarks at Stratcom 2018 at the Atlantic Council Global Forum on Strategic Communications and Digital Disinformation directly about russia's interference in the 2016 election that's who i was trying to remember but yeah it seems like for whatever reason they really did not want flynn and that nsa post um again it's not uh, saying flynn's our guy or anything it's just yeah 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 it's just yeah it's uh, it's just strange you know uh but anyway um okay so what kind of role did you see the atlantic council playing in the 2020 election uh, the biggest thing I saw was something I wanted to mention, but I held myself back was, was that, um, um, they completely downplayed any, uh, Russian interference in the 2020 election. That's interesting. Um, of curiosity, were there any links to the Atlantic Council and the, um, you know, the, uh, what is it, the World Economic Forum, I think, and their warnings about cyber attacks or something to that effect? I mean, they both had similar people giving out the same warnings, yes, but then they literally did an op-ed um, about how the, the, the 2020 election, uh, pretty much everything was under control. Everything was under control. Don't worry, it's perfectly fine. Um, this was well, done sure from their perspective. Everything was under control. And this was done on uh, on, on Monday, November twenty third, twenty twenty. So it was after Biden had had won the election. Why foreign election interference fizzled in twenty twenty by Scott Jasper. And lady talks about how in, you know during the presidential campaign ramped up in August, U.S. intelligence agencies warned that Russia, China, and Iran would attempt to interfere in elections using disinformation campaigns or potentially disrupting the voting voting process. 
Um, and they talk about how the federal agencies acted fast and swift by uh, advisement from the Atlantic Council and how they were able to stop uh, the interference like the 2016 election that occurred by Russia and other uh, uh, foreign entities to influence the election of Donald Trump. Well, so. let us all thank our lucky stars for the Atlantic Council, folks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, it's all a selection. None of this really matters. This is this this people patting each, pat each other on the back, huh? Oh, Absolutely. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Um, how much influence is the council going to have on Biden? A purposes? tremendous amount. So I, I take it the pipeline is continued with the foreign policy. It is not going to stop. Huh? No, 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 no. They speak extremely highly about uh, Biden, from what I can tell. Uh, nothing to see here. Uh, no one interfered. The, the 2020 election was completely on the up and up, as all elections are, except for the 2016 election, because that pes- pesky Trump got elected because of Russia, you know, fanning into that narrative. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> business as usual. I mean, I mean, again, Amos, Amos Hochstein, NAFTA gas, Hunter Biden, um, they haven't put out anything really negatively against Biden that I was able to search and find. Um, Biden's cabinet isn't completely put into place yet. So I can't say whom, you know, is from the Atlantic Council that's part of his cabinet yet because it hasn't come to fruition. But yeah, I think it's going to be, I think they're going to have their hands in the pie of the Biden administration, probably more than they did with Trump. And maybe even more than they did with Obama. I yeah, would I mean, assume that. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like they were <clears throat> arguably closer to Hillary Clinton, I think, than Obama, um, especially with like Hallbrook there, um, who, as I understand it, was uh, Hillary Clinton's mentor on foreign policy or something to that effect. So, yes. Um, yeah, it should be very interesting, certainly. All right, so to wrap up, what is your take on the longer telegram recently issued by the Atlantic Council? I should, uh, to put this in perspective for you guys, that's a reference to uh, the long telegram sent from sent by George Keenan. Uh, we mentioned him earlier uh, as part of that wise man clique uh, that had so much sway over American foreign policy throughout the middle of the 20th century. Uh, He allegedly issued this telegram in Moscow in 1946, um, warning about the rise of Soviet power and its uh, threat to the United States. And um, this is kind of pointed to as the uh, moment of uh, the ideology of containment being exposed by a major figure in the U.S. foreign policy establishment. And of course, containment was a uh, one of the three major foreign policies advocated during the Cold War, along with detente and rollback. Containment was seen by many within the foreign policy establishment as the sensible middle ground, um, trying to hold the Soviet Union within its current boundaries, um, as opposed to detente, where you essentially tried to go with mutual coexistence, which was favored by the business community, and rollback, which was the policy of the secret right, where we militantly tried to destroy the Soviet Union, and that was implemented in force during the Reagan years. So... They're now calling, or they're calling this the longer telegram, and it sure seems to be advocating a more militant line with China this time around. Uh, that is now. Oh yeah. Uh, 
So what's your take on this thing? Are you ready for uh, us to have a new USSR? It's called China. You ready for Cold War Cold War Two? That's what I was getting the sense. Electro Boogaloo. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I mean, look, we got Anthony Blinken. I was surprised that Biden and Blinken are now like we're going to hold China accountable when we know good old Beijing Joe has got numerous connections to China and get payoffs. Hunter Biden as well. So I was just shocked. I, you know, I wasn't expecting that. You know, I expect him to be a little hard on Russia, right? You know, and I expect them to maybe snub BB, which they supposedly have done so far. Supposedly, supposedly, but I doubt it. I'm a proud, proud Zionist, Joe Biden. You know. So, but them to be hard on Russia, I mean, China, and to appear to go harder on China than Donald John Trump and the Council for National Policy, I'm shocked. I mean, who I didn't see this coming. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I should have seen this coming. I didn't. I mean, so let's look at a few of the, the core domestic tasks for, for the, you know, the long telegram, the longer telegram, should I say, longer telegram. So we have reversing declining investments in critical national economic infrastructure, including next generation 5G mobile systems. Uh-huh. The Trump administration was trying to do that. Reversing declining public investment in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, education, universities, and bias, basic scientific research. What? Shift from the arts that the globalists have been pushing for decades? into stem wait what insurance the united states remains a global leader in major categories of technological innovation including ai well you sold all our technology to china and russia and israel and other countries so what now we're all of a sudden supposed to come up like like a like a you know to return like a um a boxer that's just got beaten down it's the last round like we're supposed to come back now this is what i mean I mean, what is this, man? I expect a lot of these talking points, you know, you know, political consensus on the future nature and scale of immigration to the United States from China. What? Do you expect this stuff to come out of a globalist world order? Well, I mean, frankly, I, no, I'm not that surprised by it. I mean, I, you know, it said all along, I mean, one of the major reasons why Trump uh, was put in place in the 2016 election in favor of Hillary Clinton was to reorient um, U.S. foreign policy towards China. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I definitely think that there was a legitimate dispute within the establishment over Russia or China. And I do think that the uh, anti-China faction has clearly won out, if this is any indication. I mean, I do think that they're going to continue paying blip service to Russia for a while, um, especially whenever they want to bring out the Trump boogeyman. But um, I mean, when you're reading this, it looks like the best of both sides wrote it and they came to agreement. They're mm-hmm. like, OK, you get this, you get this you know you get you know tougher you know military and economic you know tougher military 
you yeah, know, well, that's, preventing I mean, China from crossing red lines. And I mean, know. if anything, that's, you know, the, to me, that was the most surprising aspect of it. I mean, I kind of, you know, I figured that the Biden administration would probably continue the um, economic policies Trump had initiated against China and maybe even ramp them up a little bit. Um, but I was really surprised by, you know, what the Atlantic Council seems to be advocating here, which was essentially having the military take a much more direct role in containing China. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, another interesting aspect about this too was um, the uh, the Taiwanese ambassador uh, being invited to Biden's inauguration. I believe that's the first time they've uh, had a member of Taiwan at the inauguration since what 1980 or something like that. Um, which seems to indicate that again, you know, we're going to continue Trump's policy of uh, you know reorienting our foreign policy with Taiwan. Which uh, some of the CMPs wanted for mm -hmm. since his inception. You know, building them up again as another uh, as a military power again in Asia, along with Japan and what have you. So, yeah, I mean, I can't say that I'm really surprised by this. I mean, I do think that was a big part of uh, Trump, you know, getting into office in the first place was to take the country towards uh, an anti-China stance. Mm -hmm. It certainly seems like that he has managed now. And um, yeah, Biden hand off the baton to the Atlantic mm -hmm. Council. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, and it's also basically provided, I mean, you know, great cover for Biden to, you know, effectively move even further right towards China than Trump was, uh, because now he can just blame everything on China. Well, I mean, Trump had already just, you know, he burned the or poisoned the well with China already. Um, you know, uh, there's nothing we could have done. We just we had to continue, you know, it's just the way it was. Do you so, think yeah. they're do you think they're really going to do anything? As far as China is concerned, or do you think it's just going to be to, God, to, to provide not. cover as they continue selling us out? You know, I mean, I do think that they are going to take a more militant stance towards China and, I mean, legitimately try to contain them because, I mean, I do think that... You know, this was another issue that I think some of the people within the foreign policy establishment, I mean, the global elite have started to realize that China does realistically expect to take on a much uh, more prominent role in the management of the world order, uh, which I think certain people have a real issue with. Um, and obviously also China has its own, I think, imperial ambitions as well. Uh, which is something that many people within the neoliberal order are maybe now just waking up to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, I do think it's a bit naive to assume that China simply just wants to play second fiddle in, um, you know, a geopolitical structure that was, you know, predominantly built by the West to maintain their economic interests effectively. So, yeah, I mean, I do think that there is a chance for some real pushback here. Um, the one factor, though, I do think is the Silicon Valley card here, which mm -hmm. is kind of a wild one because, I mean, Silicon Valley is obviously so dependent uh, on China. That was one of their biggest beasts was Trump. A lot of them probably aren't going to be happy about this. But on the flip side of the coin, it doesn't seem like uh, they have quite the access to Biden that they did uh, under Obama, where they effectively had the run of the White House. Uh, what's your take? You know, do you see that maybe being an issue? Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. Hollywood, too, as well. Yeah, but I don't think Hollywood, I mean, Hollywood has been taking it on the chin for a while now. And I mean, Corona has really, 
uh, yeah, I, I don't know if we're ever going to see Hollywood recover the way that it was, uh, you know, when we were growing up. I mean, especially with the theaters and people yeah. waiting and, you know, standing in line in front of the theater to see Jurassic Park back in the day and that type of stuff. Um, you know, a lot of that is probably never coming back. Uh, you know, you're going to see, I think, just more and more of the money going towards Netflix and that type of thing yeah and you know possibly even china as well honestly um but see and that's another issue because i mean there is a lot of money from china flowing into hollywood which is also why i think there's you know uh, a good possibility that it could be uh continuously under assault uh even with biden in office i mean you know there is quite possibly a bit of a geopolitical uh implication behind some of the stuff with uh me too and um, the weinsteins and that type of thing yeah yeah, I could see that too. But um, yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, when we look at this with the Atlantic Council, I mean, it really does seem like they have been uh, really driving the DOD, uh, at least a good chunk of upper management for at least the last 15 years or so. And I mean, also a lot of other crucial spots like National Security Advisor, to some extent, the CIA director, key officials and the, uh, the secretary or the uh, Department of State. So, yeah, I mean, this is really uh, an organization you guys need to pay attention to, um, you know, if you want to get in, uh, a bit of a tell as to where our foreign policy is headed, I think. Um, and that's yeah. why I think, you know, you do have to take Biden's anti-China uh, rhetoric seriously, because, I mean, if a body like the Atlantic Council is uh, also, uh, you know, coming out with it, you know, it's a good indication that this is actually what they're planning on taking. It. Yeah, very much so. Well, John, did you have anything else to add, sir? No, I just need we need more eyes on the Atlantic Council. We need more people researching it. Yeah, I mean, there's just not a lot out there. Something that we both uh, found out while we were uh, putting this uh, podcast together. Yeah, pretty much most of the information about the Atlantic Council is put forth by the Atlantic Council themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Uh, it's uh, more of that open source intelligence for you. Gotta love yes. It. All right, John, it's always a pleasure, sir. Thank you so much for dropping by for this. And I hope all you guys listening have enjoyed it as well. And as always, good night and good luck to you all.